Let's, uh, let's get our Bibles out and ready to go, because we're going to be using them tonight. I'd like you to open the book of Luke in chapter 4. Thank God. <clears throat> On Sunday night, I had, we had the opportunity to talk about some things in Loon Lake that um, I, I was kind of resigned to just talk about in Loon Lake. But as we, I prayed, I knew that there were some things that uh, we could use here in Lloydminster as well, and it's not going to be exactly the same, but I believe some of these things are real important for the body of Christ. And uh, there are things that, uh, that we've been taught, there are things that we learn that sometimes get, get um, taken out of context or they, they get overused and overexplained. How many of you know that with every road there's a ditch on either side? With every truth... There's a little bit of a ditch over here and there's a little bit of a ditch over there. And you have to watch out for these things. And so every time that God's brought a powerful truth to the body of Christ, there will always be somebody that overdoes it. And I'm not talking about speaking the truth because this truth can't be overdone. You preach the truth, keep preaching the truth. You can't overpreach the truth. But I'm talking about taking it beyond, its, beyond what God made it for, taking it beyond what the Word uh, limits it to and, and sometimes people get some crazy ideas and, and that's never a good thing and so one of those things has happened in the body of Christ in about the 70s and 80s there became an awakening in the body of Christ to the fact that the believers have some sort of authority and that when I say some th- sort of authority I mean the same authority that Jesus walked with he left to us that is true there's no getting around that if you don't know that You're going to go through life getting beaten up at every turn. You're going to go through life wondering why you just can't get over this or you just can't get past this. That if you don't know the authority that Jesus left you with, you're going to be defeated in areas you weren't meant to be defeated in. One of those areas that we had authority over that the body of Christ just kind of woke up to during the charismatic renewal in the 20th century was the fact that Jesus said you're going to tread on serpents and scorpions and over every power of the enemy you're going to cast out demons you're going to heal the sick right isn't this awesome well what happened was people finally got that into them and they knew wait a second evil spirits have to listen to me they have to do what I say I mean if, if, they're, if, if we're being attacked and oppressed I could tell these things to leave and they leave thank God well, then all of a sudden, though, you get people that get kind of nutty, <laughs> and they put their Bible down for a minute, and they start to think, well, I know the Bible says this, but how far can I take this? And you, you have some people that are trying to cast calories out of cheesecake, and people that, are, people that are convinced there's a demon in their cat, and a demon in their car engine, and all sorts of weird stuff, and, and unfortunately, the result of that was that believers kind of moved away and (laughs) shuffled away quietly from that group. And in doing so, kind of laid down some of the truths that they had had received. They laid down some of the powerful things that that were in the Word of God, that God had taught them, because they didn't want to be too nutty. And so they kind of moved away from it. And also, also, you know, I imagine uh, talking about evil spirits and demons and stuff is a little bit weird sometimes. And... And, uh, you know, these days it's kind of nice for a preacher to be able to preach something that everybody automatically just likes and understands. And, and uh, if, if you were to get up here and, and preach, you know, seven keys to your destiny, then whether you were saved or unsaved, you'd say, yeah, that sounds good. I can achieve my goals. But somebody starts talking about demons and you go, oh, why did I invite my friends to this service? Ah, uh, this one of all ones. Oh, oh, can he just get off that topic? Can he start talking about something else like love and peace? Please, don't talk about that weird stuff. (laughs) But here, we believe that if it's in the Word, we're going to preach it. And I hope that you have that attitude, that, that this is all good, and that a balanced diet of the Word is always going to do you good, that God's Word doesn't doesn't uh, go out, it doesn't fade out. And as uh, one preacher said, God's word is, there's a season, 
The Bible says preach the word in season and out of season. There's times where there's a word in season. There's times where there's a word uh, for a particular time, for a particular place. But God's word isn't seasonal, which means it doesn't go out of style. It, it doesn't only apply in 1999. That if God said it 2,000 years ago, it's still true. He's still saying it. It's eternal. It's living and active. It's, uh, if he said it, if he said it 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years ago, it's still just as if he's speaking it right now in 2012. And we can believe it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go to Luke 4. And I want to uh, just encourage you to see this with the fresh eyes, to let the Holy Spirit speak to you as you read it, and also to realize that if we're going to get on the awkward topic of demons, <laughs> it doesn't have to be awkward. It doesn't have to be weird. Do you know that there are evil spirits out there, but thank God they are defeated and they have no authority over you. You have all the cards in this situation. That it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be mystical. It can be purely that we look at the Word and we let God tell us what's going on. We, we look at Jesus' life and we see how He handled things. And you know, as much as he healed blind people, as much as he healed deaf people, as much as he raised the dead, as much as he cleansed the lepers, do you know what gets talked about almost more than anything else? Is him casting out evil spirits. And yet we don't talk about it very much. More than he talked about feeding the hungry. More than he talked about loving one another. He healed people that were possessed or oppressed by evil spirits. I did a study just, just not long ago and I just decided to look into the Bible and see how many times it was mentioned and you would be surprised. I mean, I don't know, I read those Gospels all the time and you'd be surprised how many times there's another person oppressed, there's another person that, that's possessed, there's another person that's, that's being damaged by these evil spirits and Jesus comes in like the sheriff in, the, in a wild west town and he just gets rid of them. Now, you could make the, the, the case that, well, that was just in Jesus' time. And then when He died on the cross, he, he made a show of them openly and He triumphed over them and, and they're not a problem anymore. But then you'd have to explain to me why in the book of Acts, now He did make a show over the, of them openly. He did triumph over them. But that doesn't mean they went away to Never Never Land. Because in the book of Acts, you find Philip in Samaria casting out a ton of evil spirits. And you find Paul casting an evil spirit out of a slave girl. And you find throughout the book of Acts, after Jesus has died, rose again, ascended to the Father, that they're still bugging people. Now do you think that once the Apostle John breathed his last, because he was the last of the twelve, do you imagine once he just breathed his last breath as an old man on the Isle of Patmos, that the demon said, well, we had a good run, boys. The evil spirit said, you know, this was, uh, this was fun, but now our, our, the, last of the, the last of the twelve is gone. I guess we've all got to retire at some point. Let's go to Florida. Let's get a vacation home. Let's do some golfing and uh, wait for Judgment Day to roll around. Can we do that? We know that didn't happen. But you live in a different reality than the people did before Jesus died and went to heaven. You live in a reality where you walk with the same authority he had. Let's look in Luke chapter 4. You've heard enough of me talking. Let's see what the Word says. Luke chapter 4. Can anybody tell me what's the big thing that happened in Luke chapter 3 to Jesus? Big event. Baptized. When he was baptized, what happened? Holy Spirit came down, rested on him. Now, was Jesus the Son of God before that happened? Yeah, right? He's 12 years old. He's talking about doing his father's business in Jerusalem. He's the Son of God from the moment he breathed air. Right? Virgin birth, we all believe this. He didn't become more the Son of God when the Holy Spirit came. But his ministry began when the Holy Spirit came. Once that Holy Spirit rested on him, 
He began to teach with power and he began to do miracles. Now we knew he already, he already had great wisdom. The Bible says it, when he was just a boy that he grew, and it says in Luke 2.52, that he grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. So he was already walking in authority. He was already walking in wisdom. And yet when the Holy Spirit came upon him, there was a power that went with him. And his ministry began. He was 30 years old. And this was the beginning of his ministry on earth. The Bible says just that much. It says it was the beginning of his ministry. It says the miracle at Cana was his first miracle. You may have heard stories of Jesus uh, doing crazy things when he was a kid. You know, walking on water, tricking kids. That, he didn't do that kind of stuff. The Bible tells us when his first miracle was. And so something happened when the Holy Spirit came on him. It, it inaugurated something. It began something. And in chapter 4, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Now, do we, we don't know. I don't know if the devil... You know, see, the, the devil is not God's opposite. You know that? Devil and God aren't opposites. The devil would love to be God's opposite. It's his biggest dream in life. Just to be just as big as God. Be as smart as God. Be as powerful as God. But the devil will never be God. The devil is a created being. He's a fallen angel. That's all he is. And so he will never know what God knows. He will never be able to do what God does. He will never be able to be a fair match for God. And so we know that Satan, in all of his tomfoolery, in all of his... Uh, uh, dress up and everything that he does, he's never as powerful as our God. And he never can really do what some people think he, that he can do just, just as freely. He's got limits. And so we don't even know if all of Jesus' life, if he really figured out who Jesus was. We know he tried to kill him when Jesus was a toddler. Used Herod to kill all of the toddlers in, uh, in the same region that Jesus was born, but he failed. We don't know if Satan really figured out if Jesus was who he, who he really was until maybe, you know, maybe he knew it from the beginning or maybe he only figured out when John the Baptist figured it out when the Holy Spirit came. It doesn't matter. That's a subject for another time. But what we do know is that when the Holy Spirit came on Jesus, Jesus went into the wilderness and for 40 days... For 40 days, he fasted, he prayed, and then he was tempted by the, the devil. We know that it says here in verse 2, For 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. That's, <laughs> we don't have time to talk about that, but that's pretty cool, hey? After 40 days, he's like, now I'm hungry. Not after day one, not after day two. He's like, 40 days have gone by, I'm a little hungry now. It says, after that he became hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So Satan led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And He led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. So, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is not unfamiliar with your weaknesses. He's not unfamiliar, but he's been tempted in every way that we could be tempted. He's been tempted. And he passed the test. But guys, how did he pass the test? He spoke the word of God, and Satan had nothing on him. He resisted the devil with the word of God. And so we see in the next verse, that after Jesus leaves the wilderness, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit and news about him spread through all the surrounding district and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up 
And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me, that means he empowered me, he came on me to do this. He's enabled me to do this. He's empowered me to do this, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Of course, we know he closed the book. He said today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now we can say this is not his first sermon, right? Because he'd been already been teaching before he got to Nazareth. He'd been teaching in Galilee. But I imagine whether or not he used this scripture or another one, that this was the basis of the first sermons he preached was here's what I'm here to do. And everything he did after that was fulfilling this word. We've got to understand, Jesus died for our sins, didn't He? He came and bore our sins, but that's not all He did. It did not take Jesus three and a half years to die for you. Did it? So what did He do for those three and a half years before He died? He did exactly what He said He was going to do. He doesn't say, I just came to bear your sins, although He did. But for three and a half years, He preached the gospel of the kingdom, and He demonstrated it with power. And what he did was, he proclaimed the gospel to the poor. He proclaimed release to the captives. He proclaimed recovery of sight to the blind. He proclaimed the favorable year of the Lord. He set free those who were oppressed. That's what he did. So if we're going to say this is his mission, can we also say we've inherited his mission? Because Jesus said, the works that I do, you're going to do too. He doesn't say, uh, there are certain works that are just for now. They have a time limit. Then there's other works that the most powerful of you will do. And then there's some other little tiny ones that, that, that all of you can do. You know, He says, the same things that I do, you're going to do. And greater works than these will you do. We have to understand that the day and age that Jesus stepped into the world he stepped into was used to good preachers. They had plenty of good preachers. They had plenty of smart people talking to them. But the Bible says that they were amazed at his teaching because he spoke with authority. And here in Luke it says that, but it also says it in another book in the, in the Gospels, and it says he spoke with authority not like their scribes, not like their teachers. You've got to know that of all the philosophies in the world, we are not just believing in another philosophy. Of all the religions, of all the teachings, this is not just another teaching. What Jesus said, He didn't just say, He carried out. And He spoke with a power that no one else had. You're not just believing in a philosophy. When God speaks, it's the very Word of God. It's the life of God. It's the power of God. And we're not just talking about maybe a different theory about how to get to heaven or a different theory about how to, how to love people and how to, how to be nice and, and how to not get discouraged. This isn't just another theory. This is the power of God. What He does... Of course, he made them quite angry, and you can read that. He made them angry because uh, they didn't receive him as a prophet. They didn't receive him as the son of God. They kind of treated him like he was hometown boy. And uh, there were some things he said that got them quite angry, but let's skip to verse 31. He came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching there on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. What does that mean? Does that mean he spoke in a deep voice? Does that mean he slammed his book a bunch of times and pointed at people? No. 
When it says his message was with authority, that means it wasn't just words hitting them. They could tell that there was power there. They could tell that he really was not just speaking, but he was carrying authority. He was carrying dominion in this place. That there were things that had to bow to what he said. There were things that were changing when he said them. So he said, they said he's, he speaks with one as one who has authority. Then what happens after that? It says, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. Which leads me to ask, is there ever a clean demon? <laughs> Might be redundant. Spirit of an unclean demon. And, <laughs> yeah, I lost my place. Unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, this is in the synagogue, guys. Isn't this weird? Jesus didn't go to the bar and find this guy. This guy's in the synagogue. And he goes, what are you doing here? What, what are you doing here? This is our place. <laughs> he says, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. What do you think Jesus said to him? Because here's the deal, guys. Like I've said, there's a ditch on either side. Now, we've been through the times where somebody finally got the revelation that Jesus gave you the power to cast out evil spirits and tread on serpents and scorpions. And they figured out that people really get interested with that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, we went through a time where people made kind of a big show out of the whole thing. Somebody was casting out an evil spirit and, and uh, kind of turned it into a circus act. Asking the, asking the evil spirit, Hey, what's your name? Where'd you come from? Who's your, who's your, who's your boss? Who's your chief? Are you part of a guild? What, do, you, do you have a secret code? You know, uh, what's your favorite episode of Seinfeld? You know, all this weird stuff. I didn't ask him that. All this weird stuff. People are asking all these questions. Somebody's casting an evil spirit, wants to talk to this demon, puts a microphone to them, puts it on video, puts it on the radio, and everybody comes, shows up with popcorn to watch the big show. Let's watch this guy make a fool of himself. Let's watch the demons put on a show for us. And God never designed that to, to be that way. God didn't want that to happen. Because an evil spirit does not need a microphone. What does Jesus tell him to do? Let's look what he says. Verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet. The literal Greek, shut your mouth or be muzzled. That's what the King James says, be muzzled. Which, in our language, just means shut up and get out. Two phrases. Shut up and get out. He doesn't say, so, let's, we got a moment here. So, um... How many of you are there? Well, there's about seven. Okay. Is it tight living quarters? Is it, is it uncomfortable? Well, um, suppose that I cast you out. Where would you go? Where do you live? Where did you come from? At what age did this man get possessed? There's none of this. Jesus didn't say, everybody gather around. We're going to have a cool show here. Let's watch this guy flop on the ground and say things with deep voices. No. What does he say? Shut up. Get out. We're done. Jesus is not trying to embarrass the man. You ask the evil spirits all these questions. I mean, you may say, why are you making a big point of this? Because... There are people that, that, that really have overplayed this, tried to make a big deal of it, asking all these questions. Do you really think these evil spirits are going to tell you all, all the truth all the time? You think they've got anything smart to say? They want to say something. They've been trying to say something. But Jesus doesn't give them an opportunity. He just says, shut up, get out. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him 
without doing him any harm. Praise God. See, that's God's will. Jesus came to set the captives free. Jesus did not say my mission is to torment evil spirits. He said it's to set people free. Jesus didn't say my mission is to go be a demon hunter. Jesus came to set captives free. If he had to cast out an evil spirit to do it, good. So he does. He, casts, he says, shut up, get out. And do, what did that demon have to do? He had to do exactly what Jesus told him to do. You know, the scripture talks about spirits that would come out of somebody and would rent them on the way out. They would rip them on the way out. They would cause them damage on the way out. But it says here that this evil spirit had to leave without doing any damage to the man. Why? Because such was Jesus' authority that he didn't even give them any room to stay. No room to cause damage. Just shut up and get out. Thank God. This is our Lord. This is what he did. So... It says, and when this happened, in verse 36, amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, what is this message? So you see, the power of God, the authority of Jesus Christ, was not just in casting that evil spirit out, but apparently what he had been teaching went along right with this. And they said, what is this message? What is this message? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was spreading into every locality into the surrounding district. Now, you do a study on your own, and you find out that all throughout Jesus' ministry, pretty much wherever he went, he encountered these spirits, and he dealt with them all the same way. He cast them out. There were some evil spirits that dealt with people and possessed them and controlled them. There were some that manifest in a chronic illness, illness that they couldn't cure no matter what had happened. There was a man who was blind and dumb. He couldn't speak. He was blind and mute. And it says it was an evil spirit that had caused this. Now, we all know that not everybody who's blind and mute is blind and mute because of an evil spirit, right? Because Jesus healed other blind people and other deaf people who weren't possessed with an evil spirit. But sometimes it's just a medical issue. But there was a man who was blind and he was mute and Jesus cast an evil spirit out of him and all of a sudden he could see and he could talk. Now there are people who will tell you, well, the writers of the Gospels didn't know what we knew. And people had, demon, had illnesses and diseases that had very scientific explanations but they just attribute it to uh, the boogeyman or some evil spirit because they didn't know any better. But if that's the case, guys, you have to explain to me medically, scientifically, how Jesus was able to say, come out of him, command an evil spirit to come out, and all of a sudden this blind and mute man can see and talk. Explain that with science. <laughs> you can't, can you? There's not a medical explanation for that other than the fact that Jesus knew what was going on and he handled it with the authority that God gave him. Now it says in chapter, if we were to skip ahead to Luke chapter 7. Sorry, Luke chapter 9. Can we go to Luke chapter 9? So he has his disciples. And it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Thank God. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave the city. 
And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet, as for a testimony against them. Departing, they began going through the villages, preaching the gospel, and healing everywhere. What's the first thing that Jesus did? He gives them the power and authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every disease. It says power and authority over every evil spirit. Over all the demons, it says. So there's nobody left out here. There's no power, there's no ruler, there's no authority that is left out here. We've got to come to a point where we say, if this is the word, if this is the scripture, and eyewitnesses, not only is this inspired and breathed by God, but eyewitnesses wrote this stuff down. In fact, the people that wrote this stuff down were the ones who were there and living it. Then we've got to believe that it is just like he, like he said it was, it happened just like this, that Jesus gives them power, gives them authority, and then says, go on, go ahead. And they say, Jesus, you know, I mean, can you come with us? And he goes, no, you go ahead. I'm coming with you in a way because I just gave you all the power and all the authority you need. And as they preach the gospel of the kingdom, and the gospel of the kingdom is that the king rules. Where the kingdom is, that's where the king is ruling, right? And where he rules, where his reign is, Nobody else gets to stay. No other rulers, no other authorities have power in His kingdom. As they preached this, they don't just preach something, they demonstrated something. Now if we're called as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are not called just to teach people things that they can learn with their head. We have been called just as Jesus did, just as the disciples did, just as the apostles did, just as the regular believers did. We have been called not just to preach, but to demonstrate the power of God. The Bible says that this is how God works. He confirms His Word with signs, and the word signs in the original language means attesting or proving miracles. Signs and wonders. God confirms His Word. You're not sent without power. Now you ask yourself, are there still evil spirits today? Absolutely there are. There are. Will I encounter them? I imagine at some point in your life you will. Do I have to be afraid? You do not have to be afraid. In the next chapter in chapter 10 verse 1 it says now after this the Lord appointed 70 others it's just 70 other people they don't get named we don't know who they were we just know they were other followers of Jesus 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of them to every city and place where he himself was going to come and he was saying, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Once again, he tells them the same thing he told the twelve. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat what is set before you, and heal those in it who are sick. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, let's skip on to verse 17. After all this, the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. What does subject to us mean? They have to obey us in your name. And he says, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So he doesn't leave anything out, does he? Now what are serpents and scorpions? Obviously right now he's talking about evil spirits. How do you react? I, I mean, if you were to see a real serpent or a real scorpion, what would you do? If you're sane, you jump back, right, Mary? You, you, you would not just go and kiss it. You wouldn't just go say, let's play patty cake. When I was younger, our family went to Joshua Tree National Park. 
And we saw a rattlesnake on the trail in the middle of the day, which usually they don't come out in the middle of the day. It's too hot. My Uncle Stan told us, you're not going to see a rattlesnake. It's too hot. But we saw a rattlesnake. Mom and Liberty and Aunt Cheryl went screaming down the trail. I went a little bit back, but watched. And my dad chased the snake into the rock with a camera in his hand. Mom said something along the lines of, I thought you said we wouldn't see a snake. And then my dad replied, yes, but honey, the kids and I prayed that we'd see a rattlesnake. <laughs> Oops. But most of the time when you do see a serpent, like a poisonous snake, you don't, you don't run up to it. If you have a gun, it's different. But you don't just... I mean, he's talking to people that wear sandals around, whose toes are exposed. You don't go say, let's go step on it. You don't see scorpions and go, let's play kickball. You just stay away from them. But he says to them, and, and, and really, in reality, this is the way a lot of people will treat evil spirits. They'll treat the enemy... If they, if they ever hear about a demon or an evil spirit or a manifestation, they go, stay back and let's call somebody who's done this before and, and let's just stay as far away from it as we can. There was a preacher at one point said, uh, he was an apostle, he was from Australia, and he said, there, there, are, uh, there are spirits in your region and he's taking that. That's from the scripture. We know that Daniel, when he was praying, there were evil spirits controlling Greece and Persia. We see this in, in various places in the scripture. He says, there are spirits in your region that are, that are influencing things, and you've got authority over them. And when you pray, you, you, I mean, you can take authority, and I mean, you can stop them and stop what they're doing. And one pastor said to him, he says, yeah, but isn't that kind of like poking a hornet's nest? No, it's kind of like taking a baseball bat to a hornet's nest. It's kind of like uh, setting a hornet's nest on fire. Yeah, they, they're going to be angry, but they really don't have a, any power over you. So they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said, I saw Satan falling like, from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, so to walk up to them and not run away, but actually to step on them squash them and cause them to be of no power and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you nevertheless do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven see we're not supposed to make the biggest deal about the evil spirits we're not supposed to give them glory don't give them extra attention do what Jesus did shut up get out and then give the glory to God. If you're going to rejoice in something, don't spend all your time thinking about the fact that they have to listen to me. Spend your time thinking about the fact that your names are written in the book of life. But he says, don't worry about these guys. I've given you authority to go up and step on them. And over all, not just the serpents, not just the scorpions, but he says, over all the power of the enemy. There's not anything. And he says, when you do, nothing will injure you. You don't have to go and say, well, I read in the Bible where the seven sons of Sceva tried to cast out an evil spirit and he ripped up their clothes and he kicked them out naked and he beat them up. And the issue with that is they weren't believers. They used the name of Jesus like an abracadabra. And Jesus' name is not an open sesame. It's not abracadabra. It is not a magic word. When you do something in the name of Jesus, it doesn't mean that you say your prayer and then you add Jesus' name in it and, and automatically everything comes true. Like, gee, I mean, I mean, I want to have my own fighter jet and my own tank battalion in my backyard. In Jesus' name, amen. And God's not going to say, he got me. He said in Jesus' name, I have to do it. God, somebody cut me off at the parking lot. I want you to make their car explode. In Jesus' name, amen. God's like, I don't want to do this, but they said in Jesus' name I have to. <laughs> he doesn't do that, right? 
If we say we're doing something in His name, that means we are doing it on His behalf. Which means you can't go against God's will and say in the name of Jesus. It doesn't work. You're not in the name of Jesus. doesn't matter what you said. You're not in His name. But if you hear His will and you follow His voice and you align yourself with His word, when you say in the name of Jesus, that means you're doing it as if it were Him. You're doing it for Him because He sent you. You're doing it in His name. You're the sent one. Then you've got authority. You've got no authority unless you're under His authority. That seventh chapter of the same book that we're reading, a centurion says to Jesus, he says, I know that if you just say a word, my servant gets healed. He said, I too am a man under authority. I tell my servants to go and they go. I tell them to come and they come. Now when I first read this, I thought he worded it wrong. Because he says, I'm a man under authority, which means people tell me what to do. And then he goes and says how I tell other people what to do. I thought maybe he should have said, I'm a man of authority. I tell them to go and they go. I tell them to come and they come. But that's not what he said. Because he realizes as long as I'm under the authority, this is a centurion that's under the authority of the Romans. As long as I'm under authority, I have authority. Now, if he stops being under authority to his superiors, to his generals, of course, they didn't use the word generals back then, but to his tribunes, his centurions, he stops being under authority to them, and he goes out and decides to do his own thing, those guys beneath him don't have to listen to him anymore. He's rogue. He doesn't have any authority. The only authority he has has been given to him by the government over him. And so if you claim to have authority over evil spirits, but you haven't put any authority, you're not under God's authority, you've got no power. Because the name of Jesus is not just a magic word or something you can say and get whatever you want. You have to be under His authority. When you're under His authority, you carry His authority. What does the Bible say in the book of James? It says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Your first step is you just submit to God's authority. And then when Satan looks at you, he's looking at God. And he runs away. But if you're not submitted to God, Satan's not afraid of you. You're not under authority, you have no authority. But when you're under authority, you have his authority. We'll get to that point in a minute. Let me wrap this up. So he says... That very time, in verse 21, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and, thank God there's an and there, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Thank God. That means us. Verse 23, turning to the disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the many things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Let's look in the book of Ephesians. Because now we're going to step out for a minute. And... Uh, while you're turning in Ephesians, I want to read you a very familiar section from the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus appeared to His disciples and He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. That's the qualification. Did you believe? If you did, here's what accompanies you. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So this is what Jesus said to his disciples. Here's what's going to happen to people that believe. This is what believers can do. Then he says in Ephesians, chapter 1, Verse 15, For this reason too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Do you know what that means? Of course, you've studied, those of you who studied the Word, you know that when He sat down as our high priest, when He sat down, He sat down to rule. And when He sat down, He was declaring that the work was done. He was finished. But the Bible says He is seated there until all of His enemies are made footstools for His feet. Does that sound like Jesus is worried? Sound like Jesus is losing? Does that sound like He's pretty confident? Here He is seated at the right hand of God. And it says this, So He's seated at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come so let's see what he named he said every rule every authority every power every dominion every name not only in our time but in every time to come has been put under him and he put all things, all of these, everything in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So let's think about this, guys. What does this mean to us? This means we are the body of Christ. He's the head. We're the body. Now, I got Levi here. His head is still Levi, isn't it? What's his body? It's still Levi. Is his body less Levi than his head is Levi? No, it's head's Levi, body Levi. Head Levi, body Levi. I don't say, well, I know Levi. I know his body too, but I, I'm more familiar with his head. <laughs> if I know Levi, I know Levi, right? Don't say Levi came over to my house. Well, which one? What do you mean which one? His head or his body? They came together. It's the same Levi. If I say, go up, go up and give Levi a high five, you go, how can I give Levi a high five? His face doesn't have a hand. You don't th say stupid things like that, right? Levi is Levi. His head, his body, his feet, they're all Levi. So you're wondering, why are you saying that? Well, if we're the body of Christ, if he's the head and we're the body, we're not less part of him than the head is. We are the same person. We're in him, he's in us. I'm not going to walk around and say I'm Jesus. But the church is His body. We are the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And it says that He put everything under His feet. And the feet are part of the body. So if everything is under His feet, everything is under the body. That means every name that's named, every power, every authority is underneath us. So why would you ever walk around like you're timid or afraid of what the enemy might do or afraid that he might pull a stunt that you're going to have to call the pastor because you don't have enough faith for that when you're the body of Christ? You've got the same authority. Jesus said in John 17, He says the, the same love, remember we read this? He said, with the same love that you love me, I've loved them. He said, the words you gave to me, I gave to them. What did he do with those words? He cast out evil spirits. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. Those are the words he's talking about. And he said, I gave those words to them. And then he says, and everyone who believes on my name through them. Thank God. So what does this mean? Guys, this means that you've got the same authority that Jesus had when He walked the earth. And we need to know that you're going to encounter some weird stuff, but you have the same power. Now, I know you've been taught this. This is not a new thing. This is not a brand new thing that we're hearing. You've, some of you have been born again for 20, 30 years. And every one of those 20, 30 years, you've heard somebody preach this. This is not a new doctrine. But there are times where we need to be stirred up and reminded 
that we're not just walking in the flesh. Because the world will condition you to just walk by what you see and what you can touch and what you can feel. And they mock somebody who believes that there's something going on that we can't see. That when the Apostle Paul said by the Holy Spirit, he says, our battle is not with flesh and blood. But we wrestle. We wrestle with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. Let's say we need to think about that. Thank God you have the authority in Jesus Christ. You have His authority. You carry it. Let's be smart about that. Let's be confident about that. Let's be bold about that. And let's realize that He can't continue to oppress your family. He can't continue to oppress the people around you, your friends, all these other people. If you can come in and step in like Jesus did and said, all who want to be free can be free. If you want to be free, come to me. I can, I can, I can do something about this. But you walk with that same authority. Now we know that Jesus gave us that authority and Jesus walked around and He set these people free. He set all those who were oppressed by the devil. But you know, in your own life, there's nobody in this room that's demon-possessed. Right? Nobody here is demon-possessed, flopping around on the floor, yelling in a loud voice. But the Bible says that as believers, spirit-filled believers, we're still wrestling with some of these things. Doesn't mean that, this doesn't mean you have one inside you. It doesn't mean anything. It means that there's a battle going on and we're part of it. And a big part of that battle goes on right here. But you've got the same authority that Jesus had when He cast evil spirits out of that man and that woman and that little kid. You've got that same authority to just say, no, I'm not going to have this. And of course, we know in the Scripture it says that, that uh, our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Resist the devil. Submit to God. Resist the devil and He will flee from you. I'll tell you a little, little story in my life. Because I've known, I've been taught all my life that when the enemy shoots those fiery darts, Ephesians 6 talks about flaming missiles that he shoots at you. And we learn those are mostly thoughts. These flaming darts. He'd love, I mean, Satan can plant thoughts in your head, but he can't read thoughts. Did you know that? Satan's not a mind reader. He doesn't know what you're thinking. I've known that all my life. And yet, it took me till very recently till I finally clued in, wait a minute, he can't read my thoughts. Here's what I was doing. I'd have to fight a thought. I'd have to fight something I knew was not from God. It was from the enemy. And it'd be in my head. And, and I'd, just, I, I'd be thinking it. And I was like, that's not from God. And so I would resist it. I would rebuke the devil. But I would do it all in my head. Like in my brain, I'd fight that thought. I resist you, devil, in Jesus' name. I rebuke that thought. I put it under subjection to Jesus Christ. But I'm not saying anything. I'm doing it all up here. You heard people say that? Say, why don't you pray for that sick person? I'm doing it in my head. Open your mouth a little bit. God can read your thoughts. But you know, I was rebuking the devil with my thoughts. He can't read my thoughts. This is like telling a dog to go away and try to communicate it psychically. Wondering why the dog doesn't do anything you tell it to do. Just staring at him real hard. Mm, trying to communicate something. Enemy doesn't know. You've got to open your mouth and be bold. Jesus didn't go around slapping demon-possessed people. He didn't go around blowing on them. He didn't go around throwing water balloons at them. He told the demons to leave and they did. So we've got a bunch of believers who've got authority, but unless you open your mouth, you'll never pull the trigger on that authority. That's why we're preaching it tonight. We're not preaching it tonight because you've never heard it, but we're preaching it tonight to remind you to open your mouth. Use the Word of God just like Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. Don't be a wimp that walks around and goes, well, if God wants me to deal with these evil spirits, I'll have to deal with them. I guess they'll pester me until I die. Open your mouth and tell them to go away. Yeah, you'll fight them for the rest of your life, but they're not, they're not in a fair fight. You've got the authority here. What does authority mean? 
It's power, right? Specifically, the word authority, because remember, he says authority and power. Specifically, authority means you, there's a certain realm, there's a certain area, there's a certain domain that you're carrying authority in, and everything in that domain has to listen to you. If you're in authority at a, at a job, everybody's got to listen to you. If you're in authority in a city, the city has to do what you say. I mean, come on. So this is what authority is. And you've got that authority. Don't you act different when you have authority? I remember I was praying for somebody. You know, I was, I was asked to, to be next. T and I were asked to be with somebody who was um, going to have surgery. And we were at the North Battleford Hospital. And there's been plenty of situations like this. And I'm sure you've been in these situations where you don't know if you're supposed to be in this area of the hospital or not. And no one said you weren't supposed to. But no one said you could either. And you just kind of walk around hoping nobody talks to you. <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> where you're like, uh, there's no sign saying, Jonathan Bounds, don't go here. But you know you're not family, per se. But this person has said, please, I want you to be by my side right before I go under. No other family members are going back there. But you go into this area of the hospital that <laughs> I'm probably not supposed to be here. And you know, when you're not supposed to be somewhere and you, you don't know if, you're so, if you can be there, you walk different, you act different, you kind of are really quiet and, and don't want to make eye contact with anybody and you don't want to stop too long around a nurse or a doctor lest they say, what are you doing back here? So I walk to the room and I just... Then, then they, they bring this person out of the room and T and I are there and they bring this person out of the room and, and this person's got to go get prepped. They take them to another room and we're still standing in this hallway not knowing if we're supposed to be there or not. And that's really awkward. But you know, the moment that somebody came up to me and said, yeah, you can come with us. Yeah, you could stand right there. I straightened up. I all of a sudden acted different. Like I belong here. Like I know I'm supposed to be here. Somebody with some authority gave me authority to stand in this hallway. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like I'm, I'm meant to be here. And so often Christians, you know, we'll get in these situations and we'll walk kind of around and we just feel awkward about the whole thing. And we don't know if we're really, I don't know if I pray for them. Do they get better? Or do I tell them something? Or do I just hope that they don't bite me? I mean, what do I do? And, you know, I mean, I'm in, I'm in my city. I know there's stuff going on in my city. Do I have any place? Can I say anything? Do I just need to mind my own business? When Jesus comes along and says, I have given you all the authority. You begin to walk and speak like you have it. When you tell people about the gospel, you don't just teach them something. You impart something. Jesus was not just another teacher. Can I, can I end with this thought? He was not another teacher. He was not a great man. He was the Son of the living God. He is the Son of the living God. And when He came and died for you and rose again, the Bible says we were adopted into the same family. And God's promise to you is that I will be a father to you and you will be like sons and daughters to me. This is what the scripture says. We read it just last service. You've got to begin to act like you have some degree of authority. And not just a degree of authority, but the same authority that Jesus Christ had. And open your mouth. Jesus said to his disciples, the Great Commission, we just read part of it in Mark 16, but in another gospel he says this. He says, all authority has been given to me, both in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. God didn't send you without authority. Don't let the, don't let the enemy run the show. Don't let them destroy lives around you. Don't let them destroy communities. Don't let them destroy your family. Stand up and say something about it. Tell them to shut up and get out, just like Jesus did. And if your thoughts are being plagued, if you're being harassed, if you're being oppressed, then stand up straight and tell Him where to go. You don't have to take this anymore. Jesus did not send you here to be some weak little wimp that walked around saying, well, in the sweet by and by, things will be better. He sent you with authority and with power not to let the world change you, but to make you change the world. Amen.
Thank God. Would you stand? We're not afraid. Are we afraid? Do you fear anything? Do you fear the enemy? We're not ignorant. We're not ignoring the enemy. We know he's there. We know they're there. I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. He loved you enough to die for you and to be raised for you. When He did this, He put everything under His feet. And He invited us to become part of His body to carry that same authority. Do you know, it's 2012 and a lot of time has passed. And the evil spirits that were around in Jesus' day, they didn't go pack their bags and leave. But the same authority, the same power, the same love that he had. And ultimately, here's what it comes down to. When you get your own house in order and you get your own family in order and you say, you know, I think, I, I think I've got things under control. I, I don't think the enemy's you know, beat me up like he used to beat me up. I think I understand my authority. I know who I am in Christ. You're tempted to stop. But Jesus did what he did because he loved people. He went and set people free. God didn't call you just to make sure your, your own house was safe and your own family was not being oppressed. I think he sent us with the same mission that Jesus had. Go and find them. Seek and save the lost. Go and open the prison doors. Go and find captive people and say, would you like to be free? Because if you want to be free, I know who can set you free. In fact, we have the word of the Lord on our mouths. Father, we thank you for equipping us, setting us on this planet to make a change. God, we, we don't walk just by what we can see, what we can touch, what we can feel, what we can handle. We know there's an unseen world. There's an unseen realm. We know that there are things we can't see that we battle and we wrestle against. But we know you've conquered we know that you said whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Father, we know that every battle that's ever going to be waged has already been won. So Lord, we stand in your authority and your grace and your power and your love. We ask you, Lord, to send us to the captives. We know the captives can't come to us, but we can go to them. May You know, Lord, I, let me just correct that. You can send them to us. Of course you can. But send us to wherever they need us. Send us to seek and save the lost just as you did. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters here who stand with me would not go in fear, would not go in shame, would not go in timidity, but would go with power and love. With the word of God, the weapons of righteousness, they'd go and they'd see lives changed and people set free. Father, those whose eyes have been blinded so they wouldn't believe the word, that we would be able to take authority over that. And the same light, the same God that said, let there be light, would shine your light into our hearts so that we can set those people free as well. That eyes would be opened, that chains would be loosed, that those who are in great bondage would be set free in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that, that the addicts in our community, those who've been addicted to substances, those who've been addicted to things that are not from you, Lord, that you would show them through us that there is freedom, that there is, there is a way out. And that way is more powerful than they could have imagined. That way is not just through hard work and willpower, but through the power of God to set them free and to set liberty those who are oppressed by the devil. Lord, I pray for those that are suicidal, that you would send us to those people to proclaim light to them, to proclaim hope to them, to speak life into their very being, that they would know that there is a future and a hope for them. Lord, I pray for those that are discouraged beyond, beyond all encouragement, that they're discouraged to the point where they are despondent and cannot be helped by any natural means. I pray, Lord, that that light would shine into their room, would shine into their place, that you would give us the words in our mouth to speak to them that would lift a dying man up, the bread of life offered to a starving man, that they would begin to see that there is yet hope, that there is a life that you've given them. And God, that we would be able to speak into those situations, not as bystanders, not as mere 
advice givers, but as those who carry power to set people free. That you are the one who wants them free. You're the one who loved them and died for them. You're the one who died so they could be free. And you gave us the authority, the power, and the mission and mandate to go out and get them free in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that everyone here in this room would not fear the serpents, would not fear the scorpions, would not fear the powers of the enemy, would go out and tread on them, stomp on them, and prove that our God is alive. He's alive. Thank you, Jesus. We glorify you and give you all praise and honor. You're great and worthy of praise. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you. Go be a blessing. Go see and do the Word. See, it, see and, and taste and see and prove that the Lord is who He says He is, that He'll do what He said He can do. And receive from Him. You know, the Word is imparting something to you. If you receive the Word tonight, I believe that you didn't just receive the Word, you received power. Amen. Go out in the power of the Spirit. Change the world. Change the lives. Amen. Love you.